Hi, I'm Justin King, and welcome to the Blue Chip Academy. As a five-star recruit, all Big Ten corner, NFL vet, and Power 5 recruiting coordinator, I understand the emotions that go along with the recruiting process. The Blue Chip Academy is here to provide education, critical insights, and mentorship through the recruiting process for families and athletes alike. When athletes and their families have proper education and guidance, they're able to make better decisions and set themselves up for long-term success. Blue Chip Academy provides the resources and information that empowers athletes to create their own blue chip blueprint and take ownership of their careers. Blue Chip Academy exists because when athletes and their families are armed with the right information, they're able to make the decisions for themselves that positively impact their future. Again, I'll be your host, Justin King, and welcome to Blue Chip Academy. Welcome back to the Blue Chip Academy podcast providing you with unique blueprints, tactical knowledge, and best practices to navigate the critical points in the elite sports ecosystem so athletes and parents can prepare a plan to a career path that any athlete can bank on. So today our guest you know, has a great deal of perspective and information coming from the elite sports journey. Um, we have Laurel Springs, student athlete manager, former head coach at Immaculata University for nine years, and four-year track and field cross-country athlete at Westchester University. Excited to dive into this episode and discover new blueprints to achieve your goals. Let's welcome Alex Proctor. Thanks, Justin. I appreciate you having me on. Man, thanks for thanks for jumping on, man. This this episode is obviously geared towards the elite sports ecosystem. You know, you guys have a, a partnership at Laurel Springs, which is an elite um, uni- uh, high school university online campus uh, where athletes can kind of tailor their their specialized paths to have online education while they're chasing their dreams. A lot of athletes like um, Seattle this past weekend at the U.S. Open and a lot of different um, athletes have come through there. So like we'll dive into, you know, everything that they have to offer and just how it fits in the elite sports ecosystem because the, some of the platforms and the blueprints that they kind of provide for student athletes and families are just very innovative and very beneficial for those looking for it. I wish I was uh, I had Little Springs at my back when I was coming through because that was kind of the focus that I wanted. So considering someone like you, Alex, that's like an expert in everything just in this whole like acquis- talent acquisition process, going to college and then transitioning out of um, college, what's one critical piece of advice that you would give to an athlete looking to take the next step and pursue sports beyond high school? Yeah. And, and Justin, you know, that's a great question. And I, I have to say, I wish I had Laurel Springs or like this kind of blueprint when I was in school too. But, uh, you know, one, one of the biggest things that I think that I wish I knew or I can just give to families and parents is going to be, you know, looking at your, your athletics and recognizing all the very valuable things you're gaining through being a, a competitive athlete. Now, obviously your sports can take you to top you know, top ranked schools, they can get you to a lot on a lot of teams, you get to meet a lot of different people, but recognizing like the leadership that you're gaining, the connections you're making at a young level, and how that can really help you in the future, launch your career, um, you know, launch, launch your launch your sports career, launch your professional career, whatever it may be, because you just gain so much through, you know, through sports. Um, and not all of it is, is physical, right? A lot of it is emotional, a lot of it is mental. And I just really wish that, uh, you know, families would see that and recognize that young men and women would recognize what they're gaining so they can, you know, put a little tick mark next to it and say, wow, this is how I got this. And this is how it's going to help me in the future. I love that answer, because when we talk about using sports as a catalyst to a career that you can bank on, we always hear about the different traits that athletes have that are transferable. But like if you're not, you don't really understand 
what you're tagging on as you're going, there's a level of confidence that is as missed as you're going through it. So it's like, if you're going through it, you know that you're, you have, you have confidence in your work ethic, you have confidence in your uh, attention to detail, your processing skills, and you get the chance to kind of see the, the business in a certain type of way going through it. You do have an accelerated path to kind of your future or the plans that you want um, to focus on. But it's again, having that wherewithal going through it. So we jumping into the, the recruiting process, you know, with track and field, I was a track and field athlete and all that and all that good stuff coming out of high school. And I always say that if I lived in the South, I might have considered running track in college. But what is the recruiting process exactly like in 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 high school going to college? Is it just as simple as, hey, you run a certain time, these schools are going to go after you. You run this time, this level of school is going to come after you because basketball, football, some other sports, it's, it's a it's a range, right? Whether it's skill, skill, talent, um, height, weight, speed, all those different different other different things. So talk to me a little bit about track. Yeah. So, you know, with track and field and even cross country, it, from a college coaching perspective, it's sometimes a little easier to narrow down your recruiting pool based upon, you know, previous performances. Like if you're running a, a, a nine, nine, eight, or if you are, you know, jumping six, eight or something like that, it's much easier to say, yeah, I want this kid. They kind of fit the profile or they're going to be competitive in our conference. Uh, but I'd say the other aspect is there, there are uh, for both men and women, you know, as a co- as a college coach, you look at these these athletes and say, OK, well, what can I what can I do with you? Right. How can I develop you? Because my job is to get you bigger, faster, stronger, throw farther, jump higher, jump longer, whatever it may be. So, you know, I, I, not only, you know, looking at their their uh, current score, their cor- current height, their current time. But looking at them and saying, how, how can I how can I move them faster? So if I have a kid who is like, you know, scrawny and he's running a, uh, you know, a 10 flat 100, well, I'm going to be able to grow him, develop him versus someone that maybe, I don't know, be fully mature and fully developed at 18, 19 years old. So we call that in the track and field, like training age versus actual age, right? So like a training age versus um, you know, the, the maturity or physical maturity of that student athlete. So that, that's another interesting piece about, you know, track and field cross country that I don't think people always, you know, realize like, yeah, person's here, but I'm going to get them, I'm going to get them, um, you know, somewhere else. And and do I have the ability to do that? Also something that goes into that is like coachability, right? Coachability is so important when you're starting to work with track and field athletes, because, you know, you're really, um, the track and field athlete is buying into your philosophy, right? Your training philosophy, which is going to be very different than something they're coming from. And if they're not willing to buy into your training philosophy and work with the other men and women on your team, you might not get as much out of them as you would uh, with somebody else. That's a great point. And I like you touched a little bit more on the training age and the actual age, because I think we talk about a lot in, in a sport like football, where it's like the developmental time where it's like, all right, this guy might be small here, might be slow here. And there's just a lot of different variable factors. I just thought if a guy runs this, it's that right. Whether he's, I didn't know that really translated to track a little bit. So can you talk to me a little bit more about that training age and actual age? Yeah. So um, if I'm looking at maybe uh, a student athlete that competes in an event, maybe the 5,000 meter. So a distance event. Well, uh, training age, if they've been, if they've been repping 60 miles a week for the past eight years, seven years, their training age is going to be probably like my age right now, right? (laughs) Old, but, um, you know, if you have a student athlete that is, is ripping off some fast times and they might be doing a lower mileage regiment with some speed work in there. Well, 
their training age is going to be a little bit lower. Or they just started track and field maybe in ninth or 10th grade and they haven't been training that long. Um, you know, the, the potential there is going to be more once I get them in my athletic program, my, my training, um, maybe I ramp up some miles with them and, um, you know, maybe, you know, do some critical threshold work and then they could actually get to that next level a little bit, a little faster or surpass that athlete that has the same time, um, you know, coming into college. Uh, that makes a, that makes a great, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, we talk, again, we talk about football, like, I'm not going to say the state, but there's a state down South that we say a lot of times the players <laughs> that come there, they're really good, but sometimes they might be maxed out. Not, not all of them, not saying it, you know, the big state of Texas, yeah. but just recruiting across the country, you know, you know, you might go to Florida and the guy, <laughs> the guy in Florida might have, like you said, like that training age might be a little lower, but that high ceiling or the different things and get that good mix. Maybe in Georgia and California, you get the different things where talk about the resources and just the natural talent there. So to hear that in track is very interesting to me. And that goes into, along with just the whole process that we're talking about, because it's a developmental process, right? We talk about being a blue chip prospect or blue chip talent or desirable asset. And that's through the entire process and being committed to that growth along the way. So a major thing that happens in college football is size, right? You get there, everyone's kind of scrawny, you're playing against grown men. So in track, when you talk about the training philosophy, Talk to me a little bit about that as well, because I know you can clash in the weight room with your strength and conditioning coach, but you know you have to lift weights to, you know, to perform. And how's the training philosophy? Like, how does, does that ever friction with players or with track athletes? I mean, do you train them all the same? Yeah. Or is it like, because it's like you're really just telling them, yo, run. And if you don't make the time, go back. I mean, I had a pretty tough track coach growing up. My pop. So what's up, man? <laughs> <laughs> that, no, that's great. Yeah. And. Um, you know, when I talk about training philosophy, a lot of it comes down to, um, you know, okay, so there's a lot of buy-in that actually has to happen. So when you're in high school track and field, you're racing, right? You're racing all the time. You're, you know, you're doing dual meets, tri meets, you're running invitationals on the weekends. Well, college track is completely different and it's all a build up for that championship event. And, uh, there's so much training that actually happens throughout the year. You get these athletes like, well, why aren't we running fast? Why aren't we racing? Why am I doing this? Because I had success with my college coach doing a high school coach doing this. And, you know, it's, it's kind of getting the kids to believe in you as, as a coach. And then it, honestly, um, as long as you develop that culture on your team, you have those strong upperclassmen that are like, Hey, no, listen, coach knows what he's doing. And they hear it from that peer and it, then, it, then it's all good. You know, um, it, when it comes to like training distance runners too, it gets, it gets really messy because, um, we're, you know, we're not just ripping out long runs, miles and things like that. And they're going to race poorly before they start racing better. So it's, it's trying to get them over that, that tough hump of, uh, yeah, you know what? I didn't match my PR in high school yet, but we're only in February and we're peaking in May and we got to get you to May, have some faith. We'll taper you and get you, get you over that mark. Uh, um, that makes perfect sense. So it's like the having full trust i guess in that coach like that again i'm comparing it to the, the strength coach because a lot of times that's where friction happens and you know you're pushing your body certain times like a coach can push you in the football field a lot of times it's within the x's and o's like you're really pushed mentally physically within the weight room and i think in track i mean i ran track a little bit at penn state and track practice was a mental and physical warfare let's put it that way and pull hamstrings and all those other different things i just remember it's like it's, it's real training and like you have to you have to trust 
like the philosophy of the person that's taking you through the different training, especially when you're have a chance of stepping on the track and getting smoked. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, yeah, that's right. A real, that's a piece. <laughs> Hopefully not, right? <laughs> no, but it's like uh, a, I never yeah, really thought good. about the trust factor between a track athlete and the coach. Like, I mean, my dad was my track coach growing up, so there was a level of just innate trust. But just thinking when you get away from that, like it wasn't always the same with me and my weight, my my strength and conditioning coaches because I had again yeah. that trust here. So it was like, all right, I know this worked. Here, I'm running a little slower and I'm talking, you know, little stuff with the 40 and things of that nature. But in track, that's essentially everything that you're going through. That's everything. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so yeah. jumping into your background a little bit, and I know you were in track and we're talking about being a coach and all that good stuff. How was the how was your recruiting process as a track athlete? Oh, track man. Um, you know, it was it was it was a good it was a good it was a good experience for me. I have to say uh, I didn't know nearly as much as I probably should have. Um, and, uh, you know, making, making some decisions going on college visits, they were always a blast, but, um, you know, when I, what I was looking for, when I joined a, a, a college track program, I, I didn't, I don't think I asked the right questions. Now I would not take away from my college experience at all. I had a wonderful college experience, but I don't think I asked the right questions during that process. Um, and, I was just more excited to be on college campuses and checking out the, uh, the teams, um, both men and women, (laughs) the women's teams. Right. But also, um, you you know, (laughs) um, you know, I, I, I didn't ask the right questions about training philosophy or I didn't ask like, um, you know, one thing I always tell my student athletes is to almost interview the coach back. Right. Cause I, I was just answering questions saying, yes, sir no, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Um, but I, I did, I, I enjoyed the, I enjoyed the recruiting process. Uh, but looking back, I probably could have been a, a, more, a better advocate for myself. I mean, you hit on some really critical points when you talk about going through the recruiting process, like interviewing the coach. We talk about this being the first step of the sports business process. And it's like a business when you're going through a business dealing, like a recruiting scholarship is a it's a business contract. And at the end of the day, you need to know who you're going to be working for, the culture that you're going to, what's expected of you and all those different yeah. things. And that's one thing I, I felt like was my advantage going through the process is like, I kind of approached it like that. So I was like breaking stuff down and like the conversations that we're having, we got into the weeds about different things and I ended up gaining a lot of confidence, right? I had my dad was the athletic director in high school, head, head coach. So like I had you know a little bit of a background going through that, but we tried to tell guys when I worked at Penn State, I'd be so surprised where it's just like, you got to ask the right questions because you'll understand where you fit based on the different questions that you're asking. We typically identify recruits that way as well. When you're talking about like who has that growth mindset when they're coming in, it's like, all right, what are you going to do for me in this situation? How am I going to get better with this? How am I going to, it just frames them in a situation where it's like, either not just here for the fun. They're not here for, uh, you know, the girls or whatever the case may be, 110,000 people. It's like, Oh, they really care about, getting better at their craft. But yeah. some of those things, I mean, it's important to say, because you're saying at one point, you know, a lot of guys don't ask the right questions, but and, and another recruiting tip is like asking those questions, push you in a different light with coaches on how serious you take this game going through it. And it helps you along the way. And that's how we, you know, put those pieces together. When did you start getting yeah, attention from colleges? Um, you know, I started getting probably some letters at the end of my, uh, like a summer between my sophomore and junior year is when I started getting some, some letters and these were, you know, this is, this is back in the day. I got like handwritten letters and, and some stuff from some different coaches, you know, obviously um, 
you know, the recruiting, like through online, through online profile and the things have, has changed drastically, but um, it started off pretty locally. And then, um, you know, I, I grew up in Lancaster County. So any of the colleges around that area kind of noticed that, that, uh, you know, I, I had some potential. And then, um, you know, towards the end of my junior year was when I really started to see that when you performed at like the state level, for example, you know, the college coaches from around, at least around Pennsylvania are all standing at Shippensburg University where, <laughs> where they hold states every year and they're all, all hugging the fence lines. And then they send a letter to actually your school. So first day of school, senior year, I got like a few letters. It's pretty exciting. You know, I'm like, what does this mean though? What, what, you know, let me, let me get back in contact with them and see what this means. Oh, that's awesome. Like, so thinking about the track and field, I mean, for you to get some attention in 10th grade, I, I mean, I'm assuming you were running pretty fast. Can you talk to us a little bit about your events and your times that got you? <laughs> I <recruited>? mean, <laughs> so I got to say for, for track and field, I was, so I was a jack of all trades, a master of none. So I was actually recruited originally to some schools to be a decathlete, uh, cause okay. I could pretty much do it all, but uh, I, I know it's probably hard to tell just from listening to the podcast. I'm not a big man. Um, so then, you know, when you get into college and you're throwing a 16 pound shot foot when you're 145 pounds, that's throwing you a little more than it, than you're throwing it. So, um, you know, I, I, I could score a lot of points and I could do a lot of different things. It wasn't until my junior year when I started focusing more like on, on the middle distance. Uh, I was really blessed to have a wonderful high school coach, Jeff Bradley, who, um, he, uh, you know, saw that I was being stretched in a lot of directions just for, you know, winning meets, <laughs> getting points for the sure. team. And he said, you know what, no, we're going to focus you a little more on this area when, when we need to. Um, so I, I was pretty blessed to have a, he was a very accomplished runner too. And, and, um, you know, he was someone that I actually modeled a lot of my coaching after, um, cause he always had the buy-in from the guys, uh, you know, cared about them because I, I one, one thing that I didn't mention earlier with when you're talking about track and field athletes is you can be like, you can be physically gifted, you can be fast, but you're not going to perform if you're not in the right mental space. I mean, I'm sure it's like every other sport too, but, uh, um, it's a little bit, you know, yeah, it's, I mean, you, you don't have as much time, you don't have as much time to, or, you know, it's just you out there too. So, I think of some of the other athletes I work with, like, you know, our tennis athletes or golf athletes or gymnasts and things like that. And it's just you out there and you can't take a break. There's not, there's, there's, you, you know, you never have a, you never have a down moment or you hopefully don't. So um, getting people in that right mental space um, is, is something that's important. And it's something that, you know, I know my coach did for me in high school and um, you know, something I tried to do when I was coaching uh, at the college level or at the high school level. I think I love that you said again, the guys in the right space and just to even judge athletes, right? I'm always about filling in the pixels and trying to understand like the athlete and what makes them tick. And we, when we evaluate football players, it's like they don't run track. It's like the first question is like, are you scared? Like, is there a level of competitiveness that you're not there? Because if you're not, you don't have to be a world-class sprinter for track to have an influence on your athletic career. So if you're not doing that to help yourself move forward and what you're saying is most important to you, why aren't you doing it? You know, are you afraid to lose? Because there is a level of being the big dog on campus when you play football and it's very humbling to get smoked. A lot of people don't know starting when I started running track, <laughs> everybody running past me. I was good on football field, but everybody's running past me. I was like, hold up. We got to get this right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's a different right? level of humility that hits you in the face. And 
you know, in football, it's a little, it's a confidence and bravado game. So having that balance, I always respected, you know, the track and field athlete going through, you know, just the process in general. <laughs> but, so um, Justin, I have to share with you, I also played football a smidge in uh, in high school too. I was the kicker for for all all, all three years of, of varsity. So uh, okay, okay. And you know, being a track and field athlete, we did have like a special play designed of like you know side flick to the kicker, and he runs it around. I've never they never put it in the game, but I have full confidence with my speed at that time. I would have converted on that two point conversion. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for sure for sure i believe it a bigger oh, decathlete man. no one would be expecting it <laughs> that's right you start, yeah you know, you know skinny skinny guy running around the edge right <laughs> yeah <laughs> so you you're getting recruited and all that good stuff so what made you kind of decide on westchester yeah what actually, did you base your decision uh, so what did you base really, your college decision on uh well so First, it was proximity. So I, I liked the environment it was in. It was one of the schools that I was interested in that was close to a major city, um, had a nice town feel. Um, also, you know, had, uh, you know, potential major. So academics played the players and also uh, finances, I have to say. Um, I'm a first generation college graduate from my family, other than my sister. But, um, you know, we both were the first to go to college. So um, there, there, was, there was a finance piece that, that came into it. I um, mean, also the coach, uh, I, you know, I did enjoy the coach. I am, um, he, he showed a lot of confidence in me. However, I have to say, um, he was not the coach when I entered campus my freshman year. So there was a coaching transition oh. <laughs> in between that. So yeah, it was all good. That that, it was all good. <laughs> yeah, it it's does, right? It does happen. It does. Yeah, that's right. It's a business. It's a business. And you, you know, I didn't recognize that, um, being a high school athlete, I didn't see that side of it. I just used used to my co- a high school coach that was there for like twenty five years. Or something. <laughs> you know, hundred percent. That's a part of like when you talk about evaluating the coaches, like checking them out. Because even in football, or I mean football, basketball, cross sports, like you said, it's a business. If they're on the hot seat, the good hot seat, or the bad hot seat, right? The good hot seat is that they're going to get another job and leave and go somewhere else, or the bad hot seat, they're going to yeah. <laughs> get fired. So you've got to, when you're asking these questions, being honest, like, all right, if this happens, what's going to happen? Because these, like, these are the dynamics that are happening in college college sports in general. We talk about the transfer portal. I'm not sure how that affects track and all these different aspects, but NIL, and we'll touch a little bit on that a little later, but did you have a clue what you want to do after uh, college in terms of professionally? Yeah. Um, so another, another uh, hindsight 2020 moment, uh, you know, I, I didn't have a clue. I mean, I originally wanted to be in education. I stayed in education, which was great but at a different level. Um, but a lot of it really was kind of based around continuing to be around sports. So I wasn't talented enough to go um, anywhere, you know, special afterwards. I wasn't going to be running professionally. I wasn't going to get signed by Nike or Brooks or anyone like that. Um, but a lot, of, a lot of my decisions was based around wanting to continue to be around sports. So the path I saw that, um, you know, was being involved in education. So I continued to coach somehow. Um, that 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 was that was the original plan, but it changed by the time my senior year came around. I'm like, I don't want to teach. Uh, then I say, guess what? Maybe counseling's for me. So I ended up graduating, um, then going back to get my master's degree. But you know, in that in that interim, I did everything, man. I I uh, I worked as a financial advisor for 
for uh, you know the 0809 period, which was not a good time to be a financial advisor. <laughs> and I realized yeah. that wasn't for me. Uh, maybe I that should get my. Maybe year. I should go back into education. It's a little a little less <laughs> anger. <laughs> This is not what we're supposed to be doing right now. I got to. That's why I got. I got no. drafted in 08, and that was kind of. That was like what was going on too. It was like everybody hold on. I was like, oh, okay, yeah. It was hindsight was pretty good, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Oh, that's no, funny. That's, but, um, yeah. Uh, go so ahead, Justin. Get, no, okay. When you get to Westchester, um, was there ever a transition period? I know you say you went there because it was close. You didn't feel like you were going to go pro and all those and all that you know, that route. So you were kind of focused on the school. How was that transition into Westchester? Um, so academically, I was pretty blessed to come from uh, a good, a good public high school, actually, um, that I felt academically prepared. So um, I was ready, I was ready for that piece. I'd say some of the biggest transitions really came down to actually trading philosophy and what we were talking about earlier. Um, you know, running for a new program, the college cross country is, is cross country is the first first uh, sport that you're running. So you do you know cross, the indoor, and then outdoor track, and uh, the distance that's raced at the college level is a lot farther too. So I got I got oh. my butt kicked here, and then um, you know got some I, I got I, not by the guys on my team because we were in a transition year. You know I was one of the better guys on the on, on the on the course, but. Um, it was more like the, the races, they went from a 5k to an 8k. And I remember, you know, running in my first college cross country race and I passed the 5k mark and I may have said some expletives cause I was like, oh man, I got 3k left. This is going to be painful. <laughs> um, so, you know, there, there was, there was some struggle transitions with the sport. Um, also, uh, you know, g- g- you know, I was, I was, I'm pretty social, I was pretty blessed to have some great teammates some guys that I fit in right away with some upperclassmen that were great too. Um, so, you know, I, I think being a three season athlete or being in a sport like football or basketball, where you guys are pretty much training all year round, like having a team, someone I'm like someone you're involved with, you know, it's like, I always say, you don't need athletes never join really, uh, fraternities or sororities because you have all your brothers and sisters right there with you when you move in. Um, so, uh, you know, I was I was pretty blessed in, in a lot of ways, but man, that first race, I I, I kicked my butt. <laughs> that was your welcome. That was your welcome to college moment. Yeah, that was, that was my college. welcome to college moment. It was like as people blow by me with three k left on other teams, I'm like, this is this is this is not working out the way I thought it was going to. <laughs> That's odd, though, man. I never I didn't know that there was the diff- there were different distances in high school to college. So you're like literally running a different race when you get there. So it's like playing a different game in yeah, basketball yeah. or something like that, or different goalposts, right? Like, oh, well, I'm, used, I'm used to shooting on 12 yeah. foot <laughs> Well, you know, the how weights recruit- and the shot and the disc go up. Yeah. Yeah. How do you, I mean, how I do you recruit? Yeah, the the I shot mean, put, the weights, boom. All that. Yeah. How do you recruit um, like distance yeah. runners for that? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, you know, a lot of times like a good 5k runner will be able to transition over, but, um, you know, there, there are true distance runners that run cross country. And then there's people like me, um, who are not a true distance runner who had, who had a little more fast twitch muscle in there. And those, those guys with a little bit more fast twitch muscles in there. So my range was like a, an 800 to like a 3k on the track was my, you know, my sweet spot. 
Um, okay. Guys like me, they they struggled at that college cross country level. So, uh, but there's you know there's this true distance. There's true distance guys that love the pain. They're just a glutton for it and can make make the the mileage transition pretty pretty flawlessly. I mean, that seems like a pretty major, like 3K seems like a pretty major adjustment <laughs> to like go from high school dominating or doing whatever you're doing to like, all right, I got to stack up some more stamina and power to finish this off. How did you overcome that transition into college? Like specifically that? Oh, yeah. Um, oh, I, I would say actually my, my whole first season was a transition, um, okay. you know, and a lot of it also came down to like personal prep- preparation. I had to recognize that I did not prepare over the summer as I should have, um, you know, there was, there was training that happened, but, um, it was not the level in which I should have been training. So it's that reflection moment of, well, you know, it's too late to change it now. I better, I better work as hard as I can this season. And then remember this, that awful feeling I had at that 5k mark with 3k left to go. So next summer that doesn't have this next year, that doesn't happen. Um, yeah, cause there's so much that goes into the training over the summer months that, uh, you know, you can't, you can't get after that passes. So you just have to remember that moving forward. Okay. That, that, that definitely, that makes sense. That makes, that definitely makes sense. So are we jumping into it? Like you felt, you said you felt prepared academically and all those different things. We talked about the adjustment physically and all that good stuff. Was there any, uh, how was the adjustment off the track? Off the track? It was good. I mean, it was good. It was good. Um, you know, I, I, I was ready to be on my own again. I, I think I owed that a lot to my parents who kind of prepared me. Um, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't coddled. Okay. I, you know, I, I, I knew how to do a lot of things on my own and, um, you know, also being a first generation college student, I think sometimes you realize you're like, this is an opportunity you better not screw this up. So I took, I took everything seriously. So whether, um, I mean, shoot, Justin, Facebook came out my freshman year in college. Right. So, you know, when Facebook came out, everyone's sharing photos and stuff. And, and I got to say our athletic department, they were like, don't get on that. Don't get on that. I don't want to see any pictures from whatever you guys are doing. So, um, you know, we did have, we did have some, uh, (laughs) we did have some, uh, good, good mentors, I would say. Um, in our athletic department and even some mentors that were upperclassmen on, on our team. And I think with those mentors help, that's what kind of made everything like a, a smoother transition than if I was just completely on my own. Well, that, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, I mean, they're definitely right. I know everybody, when I was at Penn State, Facebook's like, hey, stay off of that and all that, all that good stuff. So that kind of brings us into just the time frame of how things have changed because now they're like, get on Facebook, get on social media. So like even just balancing out the distractions now with NIL and everything going on. I mean, talk, talk to me a little bit about that. How have you handled the NIL situation if you were coming out of high school? And what resources have you, would you have looked for in a school <laughs> and team for that? Yeah, matter? I mean, in a school, yeah, I, I would look for any information on it I could and anyone that's given me knowledge about it. Um, now, you know, track and field, I think, you know, name, image and likeness really comes forth to like a lot of those guys that are at that, you know, are doing Olympic trials at Oregon and things like that. Like yep. those are the guys that people want to see one, one to that. You know, but, you know, talking to Alex, Alex back in, you know, 2000, 2004, I would have said, Hey, well, why can't you do something like that? Why can't you use your, your name or in your image to, to make some money? 
because man, that what was it? Six dollars a day, six dollars for breakfast, seven, eight dollars for lunch, twelve dollars for dinner. That's not cutting it, right? And when you're right. training and trying to work and do all these other things, it's tough. And there's a lot better ways to be able to get out there. So, I mean, as as far as a school, I would have looked for someone that that something that would have helped me make the most out of me and my college experience um, and, I mean, and, and just help out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's really what it's needed in, in IL space because it's just from these, you're seeing it now in like South Carolina, they put it in a pretty much a marketing department, an external marketing department. Now teams are starting to hire extra hands because just the operation of the NIL building brands, doing the deal flow, all that, all those good things take time and you have to manage the players that are on the team and all those different things. So like with that being said, and I think track and field athletes, like you said, you got your top ones that people want to see, but like that, there's something about that individual sport where you can kind of highlight your personality. Obviously you have to perform at a certain ilk, but in college, like there are these closed ecosystems where you could be a star, <laughs> you could be a star at Westchester's campus or at Penn State for that matter and not be uh, a star on the field. And there's just like cool opportunities that you can take advantage of. I mean, with these cool ecosystems just built around sport. You start finding out those monetization points. So that's, I mean, yeah, that's, I, I just always a fan of like the track, you know, track athlete where the sunglasses, the chains, it's like, oh, you can really highlight those guys. <laughs> Dude, I used to have long hair. I could have had some flow product going. I don't know. I would have, I would have maybe, you know, shot for that uh, head and shoulders view or something like that. Exactly. That's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> oh, man. Get yeah. a quick LIG read here yeah. one second. This episode to this episode of Blue Chip Academy podcast is brought to you by LIG Sports Group, executive sports consulting master in all the critical points in the sports ecosystem, starting from high school to college to the I mean to the pros as well from the executive level, helping find um executive positions and using talent acquisition process that we use in this elite sports ecosystem. Um, if you guys get any chance, check in. Um, we'll have the link below this episode. Uh, starting back in with the Blue Chip Academy podcast with Laurel Springs, Alex Proctor. All right, back at it. So, you know, coaching at Immaculate University, like you talk about being an athlete, now you're, you're student manager at um, Laurel Springs. So, like putting the, the meat in between those two things, being a head coach, let's talk about that a little bit. Dealing yeah, with coaches right. on a regular basis. Yeah, dealing with coaches on a regular basis, it seems like there's always a specific time where they feel like they start calling to be a coach. You mentioned it a little bit earlier, but like when did you have your mom was like, I'm going to be a coach? <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, so when I graduated, I actually jumped into as an assistant coach with a, a connection I made through running college, cross-country track and field. Um, you know, he, he, him and I trained together a little bit. And he's like, Hey, I got this position. I think you could really help, you know, help with these kids. And I would have to say like, probably after the first week, I was like, wow, coaching is much harder <laughs> than I ever anticipated. But by the end of that season, to see the kids develop um, and not only athletically, but like maturity wise and seeing that change, I would say at the end of that first cross country season, recognizing the positive impact I was making with these young men and women's development, whether it was, you know, athletically, but, you know, even more so, um, you know, uh, with them as, as individuals, that's when I was like, I, I could do this. 
I can, I can really, I can really do this and continue to make an impact. And, and, um, and I think this will be the best way for me to be able to make an impact on young men and women using my skills and my talent. I mean, that's amazing just seeing where you kind of where you fit in and you can have the most value. Cause I, I mean, growing up as a coach's kid, I used to kind mm-hmm. of feel the same way. I didn't want to be a coach, but I always enjoyed one, the talent acquisition process. Yeah, seriously. I mean, seeing the hours that they put in, like, and understanding that it's hard or understanding that you're just explaining and they have to kind of go out and do right. And there's like a, you have to provide value and they have to provide value. So like always love that developmental process, but always wanted to be like supporting from the critical factors around it. The stuff that kind of gets missed. Right. Cause like my dad was a coach and different things like that, but I used to always see those critical pieces around that were like hit on board. It was just like, we need more help around these different pieces. So that's when you kind of I guess you get into like the different ops and different things of that nature. It's like her, my passion was like, ah, oh, I want to kind of support these coaches because they do play an important role. And then sometimes like if things aren't right, you know, things can come out. I don't say come out the wrong way, but just do a bad job of coaching or relaying information and different things like that. And they just have a, such a impact on athletes, right? Especially when you're going to college, guys are leaving their families or recruiting them telling their parents they're going to send them away for four years. And it's just, yeah, it's just a very important, important piece of this whole ecosystem. Well, Justin, so take that's me to that transition. Is, you know, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to no, say, no, that's such a great point. Cause you know, when, um, when we're asking these kids to come to campus, particularly when you're working in sports, that don't offer a lot of scholarships. You're also asking for a big investment, right? And not to, you know, it's a big investment for these families to send their kids somewhere for four years and then trust you to help them along the way. And I think, uh, you know, that that was that was one of my another favorite part about being a coach is is being able to, um, you know, help help them. Right. Help them get there and get some return on their investment (laughs) because it's a big one. Right. Absolutely. We, we talk about it because like there's certain things like like that transition from an athlete to a coach is actually is i think pretty hard right and a lot of times where guys might play a sport it's like hey i can do this or i, I can do that what were the main difficulties seriously from jumping from an athlete to a coach uh yeah so you know per, like understanding how um personalities fit within a structure I would say that was, that was one of the most challenging transitions. Cause I, you know, uh, I, I, I was always someone that bought in, right. I bought into the training of whoever was training me. I, and I, I was very trusting and had some faith. And the first time I got some pushback, I was like, Whoa, 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 wait, where's this coming from? I didn't realize how much, um, you know, that, that pushback could happen. <laughs> so it, I think one of the biggest transitions for me was like, okay, there's going to be pushback. And, you know, how can, how can, how can I, how can I, uh, you know, I don't know, sell, sell it to them, but really like, you know, get, get them to buy into me, have faith in me. And, um, you know, that, that was one of the toughest transitions I would say is, is, you know, getting our college athletes to, to buy in or the ones that didn't want to buy in, figure, figuring out how to get them, get them on board. I would definitely agree that that's a, a hard thing for all coaches. We talk about talent management in football because that, that's a big piece of that where it's just like, all right, you're coming in expecting to play. You're not playing because this guy's better. I told you you'd be great. And then it's like, how do you manage the personalities in that room? Does that guy become a cancer? Does I mean, 
times a hundred, right? But dealing with athletes, I think you're dealing yeah. with athletes that are a little bit more me focused when you're talking about a track and field athlete. So like just that, you know, that that comfortable coach to athlete relationship needs to definitely be on point. I always have a respect for head coaches just in general across all sports because they sit in a seat that a lot of people don't understand all the different things that are coming at them. And I, I hear it all the time. Well, they're not doing anything. I mean, again, growing up as a coach kid, seen a lot of different things. Can you tell some of the listeners something that's very difficult for a high school or for a head coach to deal with that the general public or athletes may just have a hard time understanding? <laughs> yeah, I think uh, at least for me as a head coach, it, it would weigh heavily on me when our athletes didn't perform. And, you know, you got to, you got to keep that uh, positive, that positive look on your face, that positive encouragement. Um, and, it, you know, it did weigh he- heavily on me when I didn't see improvements. And, um, you know, it's easy to say, well, they weren't doing this or they weren't doing that or they didn't buy in or they didn't do this. But, um, but, but when I realize it's like, hold on, I can't control everything they do, but I can control everything I do and how I'm working with it. So what did I do wrong? And there, 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 there's a lot of, there's a lot of weight that falls on you when, when someone's not successful, when you come with that mindset. But, um, you know, I, I think that's one of the harder things. Also, I got to say, one of the hardest things as a coach sometimes is watching kids go and they graduate or they transition out to somewhere else. And, um, you know, again, you develop relationships with these kids over, over a long time period. And, uh, you know, you get some really good ones. You're like, man, this is hard to watch them go. <laughs> it, it is. It's exciting. It's what should happen. But you feel like you're, you know, your baby, your baby birds have flown the coop, right? Uh, and I, I think, I think, I don't, know, I don't know if the general public realizes like the the very strong interpersonal relationships you you get with the with these young men and women because they're still eighteen to twenty two, twenty three years old, and um, you know you. you, you you know, you get excited about them, you get excited about their successes and it, and it's hard. It's hard to reset every year and bring it back with the same energy and the same focus. And, esp- and especially when you talk about everything in the job is like getting by it. You're trying to motivate them, like believe in my philosophy, right? You see people like take it. It's like, it's literally, it's, it's like raising a kid to an extent or if through like very important years of their life, the matur- through that maturation process in their life. And it's a, uh, I can definitely see that. I mean, I never, I never thought about it until you said that, like, because you see a lot of head coaches, they're, they have to have that level of buy-in from an emotional standpoint. And on the other end, they have to be a CEO of the company because at the end of the day, college sports isn't, it isn't amateurism. So like on the other end, when you're dealing with the, the actual money where wins and losses are a mat, like matter, you have to balance like the emotion and the, you know, the black and white stuff. And that's kind of, I, I just, have a, I have a heart for head coaches. That's why, you know, at LIG Sports Group, we offer different consulting services when they do different stuff and building their staffs and those different things so they can focus on their critical points and we can kind of support in those areas coming through a, a whole sports ecosystem. So this episode is brought to you by Blue Ship Academy and Laurel Springs with our partnership together where I provide recruiting and NIL support to them. But Laurel Springs School is a private accredited online K-12 school prioritizing an education that works with the lifestyle and training schedules of the elite student athlete with a mastery based approach to learning. Laurel Springs was recently ranked one of top five online schools by Newsweek. So let's talk to me a little bit about how you get from coaching to a school like Laurel Springs. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, you said it earlier, man, coaching, it's long hours. It's 
a lot of time. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's just a lot. And, uh, you know, I, I was getting my, I was getting my master's in counseling and this position popped up. I get to work with student athletes and I get to work with high school kids in their, uh, you know, get, getting ready for college. Right. And I was like, this is the absolute perfect job for me. I am like going in hard on it. And, you know, they, they hired me. Right. And I'm like, all right, this is awesome. I can, I can do both things. I love, you know, education, work with kids and then get them to college uh, or, you know, get, make sure that they, they have all the tools ready for when they go to college. So uh, that, that was like the, it was a simple transition. <laughs> it, it was, I was very blessed to be able to start working for Laurel Springs. I have five years ago now. Oh, wow. Congratulations on that. I got introduced by Laurel Springs, did some dealings with uh, St. James, and I saw a, a press clipping that came out. It was like Laurel Springs partners up with the St. James uh, facility. And I'm a big fan of them and how they built that. The founder, I mean, the owners or the developers of that place are just, it's just, you know, the sports ecosystem and the business, one of the nicest places out there. And when you guys partnered up with them from that educational standpoint, like I said, I've always been a fan using sports as a catalyst and just finding out more about Laurel Springs and like the different athletes that went there and just, just that mastery approach to what sports I think should look like if you're trying to take it to that level that you want to play at or where it makes sense to have sense to have a capitalization plan on your process. So can you talk to me a little bit about the mission of Laurel Springs? Oh yeah. I'd love to Justin. So I, I can't, I can't talk about the mission without mentioning our, our, our founder, Marilyn Mosley. Uh, she started Laurel Springs like 31 years ago. And she had this idea that students passions, students, uh, you know, students desires outside the classroom that school shouldn't get in the way of that. And really, that's what kind of launched our current mission to be able to meet students where they're at, um, allow them to pursue their outside passions and allowing school to to help launch them into um, where they want to go in the future, whether that's professional, whether that's college, whether it's 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 anything that they want to do. We want to meet the student where they're at to, you know, again, help that, help foster that inquiry and that growth. And, uh, you know, it, that, that's what, it, that's what we do at Laurel Springs. We, we meet our students and we, we don't make them choose between being a great dancer, being a great tennis athlete, being a great whatever, and being a great student. Like that choice doesn't exist. It doesn't have to happen. You can do both. Um, it, you just have, it has to look a little different, right? He's got to look a little different. I love that you say that because, I mean, I just posted like a Kobe Bryant clip where he talks about you got to put all your eggs in one ba- basket if you're going to do something that's difficult or that's kind of impossible, whether you're going to the pros and being in the top 1%, it, 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 accomplishing anything, you know, extraordinary. And I used to get so annoyed growing up as an athlete and like every, all the speakers would come in and tell me about the, like, have a backup plan, have this and like the percentages of what it means to make it to the pros. I'm just like... It's a huge business here. Like I, I got to be getting something from what I'm doing here, and I got to be able to, you know, put all my eggs in this basket and that propel me forward. And I look at Laurel Springs as that type of that type of place where you can kind of get be- the best of both worlds. Because when we talk about here is the acceleration plan, like not having a fallback plan. Because I mean, to put the brakes on anything in elite sports is just not good. It's not safe, or whatever the case may be. But to have an acceleration plan, knowing that you're picking up the different information and things that are tailored towards you, whether it's like that specialized learning, specialized training, specialized uh, acumen to deal with the things in the elite sports ecosystem. That's just something that I think 
I mean, that's what's next up, right? With everything at NIL coming down and kind of transitions to high school. So let's dive into a little bit more about your role or chief responsibility at Laurel Springs. Can you tell us? Yeah, a little I mean, bit I, I'm pretty, yeah, I'm pretty blessed to work with uh, an amazing team. So one of my big roles is working with the college counselors um, who are all very talented and just make sure they're up to date and understand the student athlete, right? Whether it's NCAA initial eligibility, um, recruiting, um, you know, understanding the mindset of some of these elite athletes as they are working, um, you know, to be the best that they can in their sport and how their school can fit into that or and work with them. Um, another big piece I do is I work with recruits, right? So I talk to families about recruiting plans, um, understanding, again, trying to give them all that information, all that knowledge that, you know, have accrued being an athlete and a coach and now working with these student athletes still say, you know, these are the questions you ask. This is what you need to do in order to, you know, have the best opportunity made available to them. I mean, that's a perfect point. I mean, you're just like training, I'm not going to say mercenaries, but you're training elite athletes, right? To an extent, right? Like this end of the business world or just you're focusing your time like you're, like you're going to do at the next level, whether it's in college or as a professional. And it, I just, a lot of things that I implemented at Penn State, a lot of things that I got through sport, I was placing those blocks in place as I was going through it. And, and I, again, I did feel like it was a competitive advantage, but like to have a whole system, I was happy. I was blessed to have my dad be the head coach, him be the athletic director. And at my high school, um, Gateway High School in Pittsburgh, our head, our uh, principal at the time, Bill Short, what's up, Mr. Short, he was all in on you know, using sports as a catalyst as well, like the support around that. And that's kind of what I speak to of just saying like, oh, when you have someone that's kind of super passionate about on the field product and everything about the business and then someone like like around them supporting all the different critical factors to make that happen. It's just it just it's the same level of coaching, just those different critical pieces placed around. And that's how I look at like an institution like a Laurel Springs to be able to to do that. So with that being said, where, how do you see Laurel Springs fitting into the elite sports ecosystem? Yeah, I mean, it's a perfect it's a perfect marriage there because, um, you know, there is nothing standing your way from continuing and getting the most out of your your sport. Uh, Laurel Springs, you can it's an asynchronous program, so you can go to school at any single point throughout the week. So, you know, if you're an early riser and you want to go to school from like seven to nine, train from nine to two, take a break, um, do another set training session, and then go to school from like six to nine in the evening, you can do that. Again, it's, it, it's removing that roadblock out of your way that says, uh, you know, from seven to three, you have to sit in a seat and do this. And it's saying, no, you know what? You don't have to. You can you can you can go hit tennis balls you, you, for for three hours. Um, you can go run and then go lift and then do school around that. So it it is really that it's really this asynchronous flexibility why a lot of kids come to us and then why we have so many student athletes that develop into such stars in their sport at at all levels, whether it's you know collegiate or pro, because they didn't have to make that choice or that sacrifice which a lot of student athletes have to do. I mean, man, if, if, uh, if someone would have told me back in 2000 that I didn't have to sit in a classroom and I could, I could train and do all these other things, 
I, maybe I would have, maybe I would have been a little better of an athlete, you know, um, it, it just, it's, it, it's, it's a really, really interesting setup that allows these kids to get the most out of everything while they're, you know, what, while, while they're in school. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's a preparatory piece before you get this, like before you get to college, right. You have the schools like IMG, um, the modern days and different things of that nature, like out there that are kind of specialize in those areas. You guys have, you guys have a partnership with IMG as well, where you provide them yeah. with uh, academic support as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, you know, we've we've been partnered with IMG now, and and it's it, it's great because again, they can use our asynchronous model for these kids to do additional trainings. They, uh, you know, they they don't have to sit in a classroom for I don't know a French class, <laughs> and they can do they can do it with us online, so they can then also travel. I think that's one big thing that a lot of people understand the amount of travel that takes with a lot of these sports. And, right. you know, with Laurel Springs, you don't miss class time. You're, we go with you. <laughs> so if you get some downtime in the hotel room, you can, you can hook up and you can do some Laurel Springs. You can do some math. You can do some, some, <laughs> some of your coursework. Again, you're, you're not, you're not missing out when you're doing these travels and these experiences um, that are, that a lot of these elite student athletes need to be able to, you know, raise their universal tennis ranking or, you know, get another star on that, on that, you know, recruiting site. Um, you know, they, they are able to do that with still, again, getting a great, a great education. That's true. Specialized support there. I mean, to be able to kind of tailor the things around there and not miss a beat. We talk about it sometimes in in recruiting world, we talk about 50, 50 players. They care the same amount about the sport and academics. You got guys, some places it's like 90, 10 players, 90 academics, or 90 sports and academics or the other way around, whatever the case may be. But to be able to go 100 and 100 at a, I mean, 50, 50 at a place in high school is, is different, right? That's, I think that's extremely cool. And I mean, it's not at a, it's not at a physical location. It's obviously online. So where's the value in online education? Um, I mean, one thing that you just said, like that, that balance, right? So our kids are learning how to balance their athletics with their academics. Um, you know, there's no one saying you have to sit in this seat and turn this in at this time. Um, these kids are learning these invaluable skills well before a lot of their peers. And I can't, I've had a lot of college coaches when I'm at recruiting events or watching our kids, you know, participate in sports. And then they come up and tell me like, we really love Laurel Springs kids. And I'm like, well, why? And they like, you know what? They always have their stuff together, whether it's for NCA eligibility purposes, but also they get to college campus, they're mature. They understand what it takes to be successful. And um, they're learning to, you know, be self-advocates, raising their hand, asking questions, um, you know, speaking up for themselves because, you know, w w with, with this model, you need, you need to, you need to be your, your own captain. And these, these kids already have practiced doing that before they get on a college campus or even in the professional world, right? They're, they're ready. They're ready. They're ready to go understanding, um, you know, what it takes to, 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 to manage themselves. I love that you said they get in the, they're, they're their captain of their career. Cause we talk about getting the captaincy and hitting the accelerator because like there's a level of doing that. Like we say athletes do this, do that, but if you're not empowering the athlete, to do it, it doesn't really matter, right? You talk about all the support sometimes in college. If an athlete, I mean, you can have 100 tutors and different things of that nature, and you can still cripple them when he's kind of out of school. But to empower an athlete 
to have the study habits, to have uh, the wherewithal time management skills in high school at, those, at that prime age, 13, 14, 15, 16, to take off. Like you're creating a new floor like for, for the athlete. So like, I really loved it. I just, I love to hear that. Um, what sport do you see the most enrollment at, um, or just in a specialized curriculum? Uh, yeah, I mean, bar none, it's tennis. So we have a ton of, of tennis athletes and a lot of that has to do with, you know, the travel and the training schedules that have, um, developed, um, you know, a lot of our, our tennis athletes are training at an academy and it's a specialized academy. They get dropped off in the morning. They do Laurel Springs, they train, they do Laurel Springs, they train, they get it picked up in the afternoon or they might live there. So they might have that experience as well. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're pretty fortunate to have a lot of, a lot of uh, really talented tennis athletes. And if you go on any big college roster or you look at, you look at the U S open, right. <laughs> You'll see some of our, our Laurel Springs graduates there. Right. Um, but you know, close, close seconds and thirds are, uh, you know, golf, gymnastics, uh, really started to grow in, uh, you know, soccer. So, you know, thinking of that European Academy model, uh, a lot of it's being replicated here in the United States for these athletes. And again, you know, Laurel Springs fits in, it fits around their training sessions, um, you know, provides them with, uh, if they're not going pro, if they want to play in college, uh, the NCAA core courses, uh, the knowledge of our staff here at Laurel Springs to be able to help get them recruited, help get them um, on those college lists. Um, you know, so th- those, those would be some of the other, other, other sports, but by far, you know, it's tennis is, is, is our, is our number one. I'm a, I'm a big fan of tennis and just like the way that the, I got a lot, a lot of tennis athletes or just individual sports, individual athlete driven sports, how they approach the game, right? Cause you're kind of out there on your own. So it's like level of focus sometimes, you know that thing with coaching that gets me. It's like, all right, is the athlete bought in as much as I'll be bought in emotionally, right? Like just that tool of making sure to how that uh, all operates. But you guys said you focused on, not focused on tennis, but your highest enrollment was um, tennis and the different sports. Uh, what are your plans for integrating revenue generating sports like basketball and football into like the Laurel Springs ecosystem? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so we've already started doing that a little with IMG, as you mentioned earlier, you know, there's, there's some athletes that are coming to us at a part-time basis. So we have a lot of students that come in, take one or two courses with us, and, and then they have another um, educational entity that is what is considered their school of record, right? So uh, where they're getting their meat and potatoes and, you know, we're throwing in some, some side dishes with, with our education um, in our curriculum. But I, I think, you know, what, what I see from my, my standpoint, what would really need to happen is uh, a change in how those revenue-generating sports are actually um, producing athletes at the high school level. Uh, it still seems to me, at least, it's really heavily based upon uh, these student athletes participating in either like a public or private school league of some sorts. And until they, you know, if, if someone wants out there to specialize in something, Laurel Springs would probably be their best bet because we are a turnkey school. We come with accreditations. We come with college counselors, teachers, everything they need um, from, and get a wonderful education along with it. So I, from my standpoint, if a revenue generating sport starts something like that, Laurel Springs would be a, gr- a great partner to hop on board with. That's a great point. And you're just listening. I mean, entrepreneurs out there are just people that are think, thinking about starting schools, educators, and that sports piece being a, a driving, I mean, we could talk about, it's a driving revenue force in a lot of schools and education system or institutions. And 
in the high school space, if you do have a corner in the market where you can, can provide a level of, I mean, like you said, a turnkey accredited solution where you're top five in Newsweek and having athletes gone through the process and have the success that they've had. I mean, Laurel Springs is definitely an option to kind of check out and look into. So, I mean, that is something that I think is very important for anyone that's thinking about starting school. Not that that's like a small hobby, but we were talking about just that opportunity to devise that specialized plan or add on to like a school and other things that come along with that. Um, I mean, the pandemic, we're still in it. And I know that's just kind of online schooling and people being virtual. It makes it a little easier to, you know, take in more palatable. How is the pandemic helped or hurt Little Springs? <laughs> uh, I mean, so it's fun. It's funny because it helped Little Springs. It boosted some of our enrollments um, over, over that time period. But I'd have to say it, it kind of hurt. It hurt in my mind a little bit because a lot of, a lot of families, a lot of students got, got, you know, out there got an opportunity to do online school through their, their traditional school setting. And they think online school is, is what they were doing, sitting on a zoom meeting, having a teacher talk at them, um, you know, no interaction with your peers or anything like that. And I say it kind of hurt because that's not who Laurel Springs are. You know, we, we, we are not, we are not this zoom face to face, um, you know, kind of, you know, poke your eyes out situation. Our, our, our courses are engaging. You know, you can do them at your own pace. You don't have to sit, sit in a chair for 50 minutes at a time and, and take, and take attendance and things like that. So although, you know, it, it helped expose a lot more parents and students to the idea of online learning, I think it, it didn't help us in the sense that it's, it's not, it's not who we are. Um, it's, it's not what we do. Perfect. On a personal yeah. note, though, I guess um, I did send my son to Laurel Springs for the pandemic year. <laughs> and so I got to see what it's like through a, a parent standpoint, as well as an administrator standpoint. And I think I learned more in that year than I did any other full year at Laurel Springs. That's for sure. I mean, it's so interesting just dealing with parents, dealing with recruits and like going through the recruiting process, whether it's a parent that has played or gone through the process or a parent that's gone through the process, but a player that's a second child that's gone through the process. We talk about these questions and everything, just being ready. It's kind of, I mean, that's kind of what you said. And it just gives another viewpoint on just the critical factors that you need to pay attention to because you're going to look after your kid going through the process. I mean, I know you care about all the students, but it's obviously your kid, right? You always, like, how was it? What was going on? You know? <laughs> Like, yeah. So that's, yeah, exactly. That's incredible to hear. So we know that the landscape in college sports have shifted. We talked about the transfer portal, NIL, um, the different educational benefits and different things of that nature. How do you see Laurel Springs preparing their students to handle some of those, the new dynamics in college sports? Yeah. And, you know, a big thing that we do is we, we try to educate. So, you know, being, being a school, right, we are educators across the board. And we try to educate all of our families about um, opportunities out there or something that's out there that um, they might not have known of. You know, it's, it's great. You mentioned earlier, like, you know, you have the parents that have two kids kind of close together. One kid already went through it, then other kid's going through it now. But so many things can change from year to year, right? And that's one of the big things that a lot of our parents really value about Laurel Springs is that we're offering these opportunities for education, um, you know, providing workshops, webinars, one-on-one -on -one time with these students. Um, again, to be able to make sure that um, 
you know, they're preparing themselves or at least know what's out there in order to, to make the most of the opportunities that present them, that are presented to them. Makes perfect sense. So what would be the ideal student profile for um, an athlete to attend Laurel Springs? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think one reason we see a lot of success with our individual sports is other than because of the nature of the training and, and you don't have to be on a high school team to, you know, be recruited. Other than that is, um, you know, you get out what you put into it. So I think an ideal profile of a student is, is a student that wants to get the most out of, of themselves. So, you know, you put a lot of work into your education, you put a lot of work into yourself, you put a lot of work into your sport. You know, it's that self-driven, that self-driven student that would be an ideal profile. Um, you know, we're not a one size fits all though, right? Um, and I think that's part of our job as educators here at Laurel Springs is to, you know, take those kids that maybe aren't getting the most out of themselves, putting the most into everything that they can and get them there, right? So go back to my coaching piece, uh, you know, how can, how can I get you to buy in, <laughs> right? right? So there's, there's, there's that aspect of the job too. So, um, you know, ideally we want these kids ready to work, ready to put everything they can into everything that they do. But if not, we're gonna we want to teach them how to do that. Perfect, perfect. Because my next question is like, I mean, I've been in different schools and understanding focus is a critical advantage, right? So, being in a school and you're able to focus on your sport or just whatever the case may be, a level of focus is needed in high level sports, regardless. Online environment provides that, but some people will argue that you're lacking social interaction with students outside of the sport, and it just can get too specialized. Can you talk to me about that? Like, and how does Laurel Springs have a solution for those parents that worry about the lack of socialization outside of the sport that they're playing? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, we have, we have a plethora of socialization opportunities for these students, uh, whether it's clubs, we have student government, um, you know, we have field trips, we have uh, service learning trips that these students can go on. You know, there, there's not a level there's there, the level in which a student can engage is up to the student. So if a student wants something and wants to engage, we provide all the opportunities for them to be able to do so. I think another really, really interesting thing that I saw with the development of my own son is, you know, socialization looks very different than when us parents were younger, right? Um, you know, a, a while ago I was walking past my son's room and he was yelling and hollering, playing a video game of some sorts. And um, I'm like, oh, you know, who you're playing with? And he's like, oh, I was playing with so-and-so from Laurel Springs who lives, <laughs> who lives up in Vermont. I'm like, oh, that's cool. And like, they're like, yeah, it's really fun hanging out. I'm like, is that hanging out? But I guess it is now, you know? So I think uh, that, that, you know, that it, that's a little tangent there, but I, I, I do think there's a lot of authentic socialization that happens um, and then there's like these organic connections that kind of trickle into the outside portion of, of the of, of our lives. It just looks differently than when than when I would ride my bike to my buddy's house. That's a good point. Even when you talk about socialization and playing video games, I know a lot of guys out there in the recruiting world. I know your secrets, but like they play video games with the guys like when you can't communicate all the time. It's like, oh, add me, we can play, we can talk on a thing. You know, can't be tracked yeah. by the NCAA. But anyway. <laughs> Like, that is socialization, right? Like that's a level of communicating and building a relationship with people. Like do it to get recruits and all that good stuff. So that's interesting. I never thought about that. Like, yeah, if I'm in an online class with someone and we could play video games, it's, 
it's essentially the same. When I was in the NFL, we got done, we go home, we all play Halo or Call of Duty and be on the same team. <laughs> it's like we're talking about what we talked we talked about in practice. <laughs> so all that good yeah, stuff. Exactly, I, right? That's a dynamic I didn't even think about. But where do you see Laurel Springs in the next five years? And I, I see us continuing to develop in the athletic space. You know, again, we, we are a big percentage of, of college athletes, but you know, there's a lot of effort to, to be able to capitalize on, on one of our strengths and how it really fits into this elite sports ecosystem, as you put it. Um, you know, I, I see us, you know, continuing to grow, becoming not number five, number one in the, in the online education space. I mean, we have, uh, you know, we, we, we have, we have, the infrastructure and we have the people in place. And I think over time, it's just really going to, you know, come out, come out naturally. Right. You know, we have a wonderful product. We have wonderful people. We have wonderful students and it's just going to continue to build and grow. Amazing, man. And that's all we have for you today. So I just want to thank you, Alex Proctor for coming on to the blue chip Academy blueprints of success interview series. And, Give us a lot of details and a lot of gems on just the elite sports ecosystem, sharing us about Laurel Springs, sharing us about the journey as a track athlete and as a head coach and understanding those different things, understanding the training philosophy. I really love the the training age. I'm, I'm, I'm taking that. So if you hear me say that's, I mean, I don't think it's new, but I'm going to adopt it. <laughs> but, you know, you guys like and subscribe to this channel and visit Laurel Springs website in the link below. And check out, like I said, the mastery level uh, curriculum for the elite athlete. And we're just talking about the different places and using a blueprint to kind of put you in a acceleration, put you in a captain seat for your acceleration plan. And Laurel Springs is definitely a place that lives by those same principles and puts the support around the athlete. And remember, check out Blue Chip Academy and the football business masterclass going through all the different intricacies of the recruiting process and football when you're just recruiting, whether it's your coach, the ecosystem that you're going into, the scheme fit and all those different things. So when you guys get a chance, check that out. The link will be in the bottom of uh, the bio and that's it. We're signing out. Class is dismissed. And Alex, Thank you so much for jumping on to Blue Chip Academy and all the success at Laurel Springs. Yeah, thank you, Justin. It's been it's been a lot of fun. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Blue Chip Academy. To help navigate the recruiting waters, LIG Sports Group put together a Blue Chip Recruiting Checklist. Download your checklist at LIGsports.com Blue Chip Academy to ensure you're making informed decisions through this process. Hit subscribe and check out the LIG Sports Group Football Ops and Recruiting YouTube channel, where we'll talk about the recruiting and other critical points in the football ecosystem. If you're feeling stressed, confused, or just want help putting together a blue chip blueprint for you and your son, don't hesitate to book a console call with me at LIGsports.com backslash Blue Chip Academy. Remember, everyone has a different journey. Keep sharpening and remember that you can only go to one school. Just make sure that you have your blue chip blueprint together and execute it. Life is good.